Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode five of our summer series. Today, Jason and I talk about the core. You know, for as long as I have been doing yoga and editing different yoga teachers and working with collaboratively with different yoga teachers, I can say that there's a lot of confusion about the core. There's a lot of mystery to the core, and many teachers have slightly different takes on the core. So I am admittedly really biased here, (laughs) but I think Jason has a very rational, concrete approach to working with your core. And he defines the different components that he feels make up the core at the top of the podcast. So we kind of demystify and get that out of the way right away. And then he offers three tips for working with and, and balancing and releasing the core. Before we get to the interview, I want to thank those of you who posted a Yogaland story on Instagram last week. I truly, genuinely loved reading all of them, and I could see that you were all reading each other's stories, and it was really sweet. So if you're not familiar, I'm doing a little project where asking you to answer or tell your own yoga story every week. Post it on, on Instagram with the hashtag Yogaland Stories. And then at the end of the week, Jason and I will pick one to post on our feeds. So this week, the question is Are you ready? The most surprising change or transformation I've seen in myself since starting yoga is fill in the blank. I'm so excited to see your stories. Next week is the last week of our summer series. Thanks so much for your feedback on how much you've enjoyed it. We've really enjoyed creating it for you. We've always enjoyed working together. And next week, we're going to talk about arm balances and inversions. Jason's got a new Yoga Glow course. It's an eight module course coming out very, very soon on this very topic. And so we thought it would be a great way to give you a little preview and we'll give you all the information like the URL and all that good stuff when the course drops. If you have enjoyed the summer series and you haven't yet left an iTunes review, please do so. It really, really helps other people find the podcast. And I'm so excited about those of you who responded to my call for telling me about your stand-up desks and your treadmill desks. And we're going to start there with our interview today. I actually want to start off with some feedback from listeners. Great. So when we did the hips episode, I put out a call to people asking if they worked at a standing desk or a treadmill desk. And you thought I was a little cuckoo for asking this, but several people have responded and I thought I would share their responses. Can I pause you? Sure. I don't think you're cuckoo. I just find this situation would be um, a nuisance given the size of our home. I am not asking for us to have a treadmill. It's a slippery slope. (laughs) Oh my God. This is literally like pretty much every conflict we've had in our marriage comes down to too many things coming into our home. <laughs> yes. Okay. Let's get back to the desks. So I don't believe that any of these people have a treadmill desk, but some people do have motorized desks, which <laughs> I kind of find fascinating. You just put a box on top of your desk and then put the, anyways, go ahead. Okay. So Joan Mechanic says, I'm an accountant. I have an Ikea. You guys, Ikea has a motorized desk, which can go... We're not being sponsored by Ikea. Let's make it No. Oh, my goodness. 
from a regular desk to a standing one. I do like the variety. In addition to yoga, I'm a runner. I feel it helps as tight hips are an issue for me. I find if I have a project that requires a lot of concentration, I still do better sitting, but I keep my desk surface more clear when I'm standing. So I'm all for that, right? Yeah. I think I'm already, if I, since I'm already up, I'll file, shred, or take care of papers right away. Huh. All right. So I'm just going to read a few of these because they all have interesting little points. Okay. Maria Bowman says, I have a sit stand desk at work. Whole thing raises and lowers. And I think it helps with tight hip flexor. So as weak overstretched hamstrings issue, just being able to mix things up makes a big difference for me. That I, no I notice my hips and lower back are much tighter on days when I sit all day. Cynthia Mathis says, I've had a standing desk for years and got it because of cervical spine issues. So because of her neck, which yeah. I've never heard. I, I usually hear about people doing it for their lower back. Standing at my desk while making conscious and unconscious micropostural adjustments benefits my entire spine and all limbs. I'm so much more mindful of my body when standing versus slouching in my chair. My desk is motorized and I use a manually adjustable... I know the room. that's sort of what I'm imagining <laughs> in my head, but I think she just means that she I, yeah, pushes a yeah, button so. and then it goes so. to standing. I, so. I use a manually adjustable keyboard tray attached to the underside of the desk, a setup that has netted me much more benefit than the cost of it. Nice. Yeah. And then the last one, Jenna Phillips, I have a standing desk in Levitt. I'm a radiologist. And if I'm not mindful, my entire day is spent in the dark sitting in front of a computer. It's less depressing than it sounds. She says, I don't think that sounds depressing at all because as an editor, I loved like just sitting and getting absorbed um, in my work all day. I've got a desk that's motorized so I can lower it to sit. I have a therapy ball that I'll still sit on and raise it to stand or yes, even slowly walk on the desk treadmill I have with the desk. I somehow missed this the first time I read it. Since using this setup, my posture has improved, my core is stronger, and my chronic neck pain significantly reduced. My energy at the end of the day is also much improved. So well, here, there. You know, when I first I've heard of them. I've never denied the efficacy of these things. When I first heard of them, I was sort of puzzled. I thought like, oh, this just sounds like kind of an annoying contraption. I didn't think of all these little details like that when you are working standing, you're just going to be more mindful of your posture. When you stand up to fix your desk, you're going to take a walk around the office and throw some papers away. I mean, they say that sure. these little things that you sure, do sure, sure. every day really add up. Sure. So it's just really nice to hear that those little points, those little nuance points. And I appreciate you guys for writing in. So thanks. Totally. Yeah. And a couple of people mentioned that having the standing desk helped them with access to their core and help them with alleviation of excess tension on the front of the hip joint and excess weakness on the back of the hip joint, which is really great. And that's some of the things that we have been talking about in the previous episodes. Absolutely. And it's where we're going in this episode, which has to do with working with the core more skillfully. Right. right? Mm -hmm. And we've looked at shoulders, we've looked at hips, and now we're moving into core. And we've talked about the spine, And we've too. talked about the spine, mm -hmm. right? And so some of the content that we're going to talk about, some of the tips we're going to talk about now are going to have natural crossover with the content that we've already discussed. Right, which is, which is a good thing, I think. We're sort of trying to tie it all together. Totally. It's important to start this conversation with just a really quick, simple anatomical breakdown of core. So when I think about breaking down the core, I think that the first thing we have to do is we have to break it into components. Because the word core by nature can be a little vague, it can be a little illusory, and a lot of times what we do is we overly associate our core with just the abdominals. 
And I want to get us out of that pattern, give us a little bit more clarity. So the first thing that I think about when I think about core is component number one, which is the bottom of the core, which is the pelvic floor muscles. The second component of core, I like to call the abdominal circumference. So the reason that I call it the abdominal circumference is to remind us that we are a circumference, that we aren't just what we see in the mirror. We aren't just that anterior side of our abdominal region, but front side, anterior yeah, side. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that our core, our center has a front, has sides and has a backside. And that's going to be a big key tip that comes up soon. Okay. Two more layers to core that I think of are hip flexors, especially iliopsoas, and then also diaphragm. So for me, geographically, that's our center. That's the geography of our center, the pelvic floor, the muscles that comprise the abdominal circumference, the iliopsoas, and the diaphragm. Okay. But also another aspect of this is the backside of our core. And in addition to the backside of our abdominal muscles, we also have the paraspinal muscles, the muscles that are running next to the spine, and especially the very deep ones, the multifidi. Okay, so multifidi are key components of core. And another key component of core, some people consider this muscle an abdominal muscle, some people consider it a spinal muscle, but it's the quadratus lumborum, the QL. So this is really the the muscular network that forms our center. So would the internal and external obliques count as part of, what did you call it, the abdominal circumference muscles? Yes, part of the abdominal circumference. And the other muscles there would be rectus? Yes, well, so the four abdominal muscles, you have the transversus abdominis, you have the internal obliques, you have the external obliques, and you have the rectus abdominis. Okay. And then like I was saying, everyone agrees that those are four abdominal muscles. Right. And then the QL, the quadratus lumborum, some people will identify them as a posterior abdominal muscle. Some people will think about them as a spinal muscle. I I don't think it matters how we classify them, but those are the abdominals. And for those who are not as familiar with the terminology, the rectus abdominis is what we call um, in layman's terms, six pack. Yes. The Transverse abdominis is a lot of times in Pilates, and now I think more and more in fitness, you'll hear people refer to it as like the corset muscle. So it's like the band that wraps around the lower. The reason it's called the transversus abdominis is because the muscle fibers are oriented in the transverse plane, meaning they run perpendicular to the spine. Right. So you can think about them like a drawstring, right? You can think about them like how the drawstring of a pant runs. Imagine countless micro drawstrings that run from the bottom ribs to the hip bones. Mm -hmm. And upon contraction, like the drawstring of a pant cinches the diameter, it's the same. It cinches the diameter. Mm -hmm. It has a corseting effect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then the internal and external obliques. I mean, I know where they are, but I don't know how to describe it. It's, um, it's difficult to describe. <laughs> it's much easier to we'll see. Do some, we'll put so, some illustrations yeah. up to so, on the show notes page. So oblique just is the word in anatomy for diagonal. So the internal obliques are run underneath the external obliques. So one is internal, one is external. That is language that describes 
which one of those muscle groups is on top of the other muscle group. Right. Right. Layers. Yeah. And the important thing to know about obliques, and we're going to talk about this when it comes to the tips later, is that they facilitate rotation. They facilitate rotation. And then another way to think about core, this is a little bit more of a complicated way to think about core, but another way that we can think about core is slow twitch muscles, which is the pelvic floor muscles, the internal obliques, and the psoas, and the, and the multifidi. So those muscles are in some ways the deepest core of our core. Okay. I think probably children are taught, I hope kids are taught in a more multidimensional way now about their bodies, but I don't know. But, you know, growing up when I did, back when I was a kid, you know, if we did anything for our abdominals, we just did crazy sit-ups, horrible sit-ups. Right. What is the benefit to thinking in a more three-dimensional way about your core? Well, because we're three-dimensional. Right. I I was sort of thinking about this the other day. This is going to be a roundabout way of answering that question. There's a part of me as a vinyasa yoga teacher that loves movement, that loves flow, that currently works in studios with a relatively young, healthy, strong demographic. And so there's a part of me that is always slightly reticent about being as detailed oriented and as technical as I am. And then I had this realization that the other day is, but we're detailed. The body is full of complex, comprehensive detail. And so to not work in a detailed way is to somewhat not work with the nature of the body. The nature of the body is that there are countless little details. So the question why work with the circumference of the core is because we're a circumference Mm -hmm. and because that's our nature. Mm -hmm. And so if we are interested in balance and we are interested in postural integrity, then we want to treat all sides of the body. We mm-hmm. want to treat ourselves like we are the, the long, tall column that we are. You're a long, tall column. I'm a short, not you, tall you column. <laughs> a short, not tall column. That was a, that was a not gonna edited, po- kind way of... I'm not going to put myself any <laughs> down any more than that because I've learned, but... But we are. We are, we, are, we are largely columns. We are five columns. We are, we are the spinal column, we are the two arms, and we are the two legs. Yeah. I mean, from a physical dimension, right, obviously. Right, right. So the point is, is that if you have a three-dimensional column and you only strengthen one side of that column, then you don't do that column much benefit. Right. You might provide the illusion of benefit, If that column had, you know, a front brain and a developed ego and that column saw itself in the mirror many times a day. So the point here is that we are likely to overvalue what we see Mm -hmm. because we have a psycho-emotional and ego relationship to it and undervalue what we don't see Mm -hmm. because it's off our mental map, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But when it comes to the pure mechanics of the body... And the pure mechanics of the of our center, we have to make sure that we are working with the full circumference of that center, or else parts are going to overwork and parts are going to underwork. Yeah, that's what I was kind of wanting to yeah. get at. You know, no, I know, like- I know, we were looking for something sort of simple, but I I think that the bottom line is working with the body as it is, working with our nature as it is, 
and understanding that if we want to work with our ourselves as we are, then we have to understand that we are that circumferential physical dimension. Mm-hmm. I guess just to hold you to it a little more, yeah. you know, like I think when you go to yoga classes regularly, you learn about the pelvic floor. You might not learn about it in those terms, but you, you know, that is tapped into the hip flexor psoas are tapped into the abdominal cavities tapped into, even though the teacher might not identify the diaphragm, you're working on your breathing. But in terms of the muscles of the the back yeah. of the core. Yes. Like what is the benefit of focusing on like physically, posturally, sure. what is the benefit to starting to focus on those muscles? Sure. One, if you work one side and not the other side, then one side is going to have dominance over the other side. So if you work the front and not the back, then, not, not right and left. Front and yeah, back. that's correct. Right. But then you are going to have a muscular imbalance or you are you are likely to have a muscular imbalance and you don't want one side of the body to have excess pull and the other side of the body to have insufficient pull. Mm-hmm. Right. The other thing is that we talked about it in, in the other episode, but it's really important that we revisit here, which is people often talk about how the abdominals protect the spine. Well, the spinal muscles protect the spine. Like this is this actually sort of bizarre miss. It is true that the abdominal muscles protect the spine, but so do the spinal muscles protect the spine. So the spinal muscles give both stability and mobility to the spine itself. And one of the major things that we don't want the spine to do is make an abrupt motion at one segment. So the spine, we want the the entire spine to be able to move as a flexible pipe, right? As a mobile column. We don't want one part of the spine to move an excessive amount and another part of the spine to move too little. Another way of saying this is we don't want one part of the spine to move too much at one segment too abruptly, because that can be quite dangerous for the discs. That can be quite dis- dangerous for the ligaments. So we want the spine to move as a whole, or we want it to move with cohesiveness. And one of the bigger threats to the spine is excess abrupt motion in one location. Mm-hmm. And the strength in the spinal muscles, the strength on the back side of the core, helps the spine move congruously. It helps the spine not just move where it has excess mobility, but it helps the spine move in a more complete and balanced fashion. Mm. That makes sense. So in some ways, the first tip to give for working with core is to focus more on strengthening the backside of our core, to focus more on strengthening the paraspinal muscles, specifically the multifidi, and also to strengthen the quadratus lumborum. That when these muscles are weak, the paraspinal muscles, especially the multifidi, 
and the quadratus lumborum, then the spine is less likely to move with cohesiveness. And it is more likely to move uncohesively and therefore get agitated in a location. Mm -hmm. It's just more vulnerable in a sense. It becomes much more vulnerable. What's your advice for approaching that work? Well, I'm going to tell you right now that every single teacher trainee of mine is rolling their eyes and smacking their foreheads and thinking, oh my God, I know what it is. <laughs> so everyone that's trained with me, you can shout it out loud. Locust, locust pose. We don't do enough of it. I am so tired of me saying locust pose. I can't imagine how tired people are of hearing me say locust pose, but I don't want to complain about or castigate chaturanga or up dog. But the amount of chaturangas and up dogs we do compared to the amount of locusts we do is disproportionate. And the more locust poses we do, the more we have the opportunity to strengthen backside. Mm -hmm. So, and the nice thing about that too, and this feeds into the other conversations we've had is, locust is such a good pose for also strengthening the posterior part of the hip and leg. So hamstrings, glutes, mm -hmm. right? And then also tying into the shoulder conversation we've had, locust pose is also such a great pose for strengthening scapula, right? And just think about all the plank stuff, all the arm balance stuff. There's so many classes now in vinyasa yoga where they have like specific core abdominal strengthening segments and I don't have a problem with that, but that would be like every in every class that we do focusing a ton on strengthening the biceps, but not also strengthening the triceps commensurate. Like it just doesn't actually, I don't want to say that it may, it doesn't make sense, but it's not as thorough as it could be. Mm -hmm. If you want to strengthen the arms, you don't just do bicep curls. Mm -hmm. You also have to do tricep presses. You have to have a commensurate amount. Right. If I step back and I look at the really big uptick in anterior abdominal strengthening that has come into co contemporary yoga. There's a huge uptick. That's a good thing. I think it's extremely disproportionate to the amount of posterior spinal strengthening. Mm -hmm. And so we're strengthening the front side of our abdominal column, but we're not doing as good of a job of strengthening the backside. Mm -hmm. I'll say another thing, which, which I think is going to make sense. I hope it makes sense. And I, I focus on this a lot in seminars, workshops. When we do Ardha Uttanasana in all of our sun salutations, when you inhale and lift halfway up, for most people, they're not lifting high enough up to muscularly engage their paraspinal muscles. So for me to inhale, lift halfway up and to strengthen the backside, I have to lift my shoulders a little bit higher than my pelvis. So when I come up, I come way up. And this is something that people who study with me for a long period of time start to do. So that inhale halfway up is not just a head nod or a little lift of the chest. It's a Roman sit up. Mm -hmm. It's it's you're lifting the spine high enough that you feel your spinal muscles engage. Mm -hmm. And I was really afraid to do that for a long period of time, because as you know, I've I have a history of back issues from life before yoga. And I was really reticent to do anything that engaged my spinal muscles, that contracted my spinal muscles, because I would be sore afterwards. Right. It's a little scary. And it was really scary. Yeah. But I actually have realized in the last couple of years that my spinal muscles were really weak mm. and that I wasn't doing enough to slowly and progressively strengthen them. And so they would go on overload. 
and they were they were weak muscles that would occasionally freak out in some ways because they were chronically weak muscles. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say one thing about locust pose, which is for years I I hated the pose because let's face it, you don't go very far in it. It's not and a, you work hard. You work hard. It's not a beautiful pose. No. It doesn't feel beautiful. It doesn't look beautiful. Mm-hmm. My relationship to and it. You can't breathe in it. Yeah, and it's challenging to breathe. It's super hard. My relationship to it changed when I started to look at it more functionally. Exactly. When I just treated it like, well, I do my abdominal work on the front side. Like, you know, exactly like that. Like, you just got to take your medicine sometimes. You just got to breathe through it and work through it and like watch the aversion and say to yourself, this is actually good for you. One question I have is, do you care if the inner legs are touching if the legs are together or not it just depends Mm -hmm. so what i do is if i want to focus on strengthening hamstrings gluteals and adductors then i have people bring the inside of the feet together that means their legs will be externally rotated and we don't typically externally rotate the thighs and back bends i'm going to stay away from why it's a long story right but it's such a low range of motion Mm -hmm. it is such a low range of motion that the external rotation in locust pose doesn't bother me. If I'm not focused on strengthening glutes, hamstrings, adductors, then I will have people keep their legs hip width apart and slightly internally rotated. So I can see people doing that pose slightly differently with legs and hip joints, just depending on what they want to focus on on that day. So if the legs are hip distance, it's, it puts more of the strengthening on the back muscles? Well, it's not that it puts more of the strengthening on the back muscles. I think the back muscles are going to get the same amount of strengthening both ways. It just takes the hamstrings, glutes, just, and adductors out. Of well, it. the hamstrings will still be involved, but the glutes and the adductors will be out. Okay. Okay. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. yeah. I can remember, you know, starting yoga and teachers were just adamant about whether the feet were together or adamant about sure. them being separated. And I was just like, this can't, it can't be this well, then extreme. It, it becomes, then, then the more we learn, the more experience we have, the more we realize it depends. Exactly. The way you yeah. work a pose somewhat depends on what you're trying to emphasize in that pose on that day. Also body type and so forth. There's one more thing I want to say before next tip, which is you brought up the functionality of that pose. And I think this is one thing that happens, certainly watching you and I over the years, looking at the physical dimensions of our yoga practice, you and I just being more and more and more purely interested in the functionality of a practice and the functionality of using the asana as a discipline to be strong and able-bodied and balanced and well. Yeah. And sort of having a little bit less fetishizing of the beautiful thing for just the sake of the beautiful thing. That's not to say you and I don't still have plenty of ego and that we're not still working on certain things because they're big, dramatic things. But I, but I think that's less and less. And it's more and more that we have the experience to just appreciate things that, that help the body work well. Yeah. Optimize. Yeah. Optimization. Yeah. 2.0 over here. (laughs) 4.0. Okay. What's your next tip? Rotational strength. If you really look at a situation where someone is trying to generate power from their body, they're always going to create rotation. Things have to rotate. And you're talking about like when I throw the discus, right? Yeah, like when you throw the discus (laughs) or when you throw a frisbee. (laughs) 
<laughs> throw a frisbee. We're talking about or all you, of my or sports. When you spike, or when you spike a volleyball. We've already talked about volleyball. Now we can talk about the fact that my five-year-old daughter literally throws a frisbee better than I do. <laughs> she actually does. For sure, yeah, she yeah. does. Okay, anyways. When the human body has to generate power, there's rotational motion. There's multiple joint, multiple muscle chain rotational motion. And think about a pitcher pitching. Think about a boxer boxing. Think about a slap shot, a tennis player generating power through a racket. What's a slap shot? Eh, come on, lady. <laughs> I don't. Are you hockey? serious? Yes. Okay, sorry. All right, we're going to take this offline. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, but point being, when the body really, or just jogging, like the body rotates. Swimming. The body rotates swimming. Yeah. It's rotation. Mm-hmm. And that rotation, there's two components. Well, there's many components to that rotation. But the three components I want to bring up now is one, that that rotation includes the action through the core of oblique engagement. And you're firing internal and external oblique when you rotate. To describe it beyond that in this setting is a little bit complicated because when you rotate one way, one set of internal Obliques are working and the opposite side of external obliques are working. It's more of an in-depth workshop for that level. (laughs) But but the point is, is that when I think about core and when I think about strength, I think more and more than I ever have about the human body rotating, which means that I include many postures and actions within postures. And I'm going to give one or two here in a moment that focuses on the rotational actions of core. And when you're rotating core, you're really strongly using obliques and multifidus, multifidi. Mm -hmm, That makes sense, yeah. A second component to this is the glutes. So you know that a lot of times people on the street mistake me for Tom Brady, (laughs) right? Like, I mean, because because we look a lot alike. I thought it was was the guy um, from... Who? Doogie Hauser. Okay, Doogie Hauser's not appropriate, and I don't appreciate you bringing it up in this context. Now, if you brought up Barney from How I Met Your Mother, that's fine. I'll take that. I will take him okay, as an adult. I I'm going to just take him pause as a child. for a second and tell another embarrassing story. I'm going to. I'm going to. Your mother had a picture of you on her desk. Yeah. A woman came in and said, I had no idea your son was Doogie Hauser. No, she used no. Doogie Hauser. She did not use Doogie Hauser. She did not use Doogie Hauser. <laughs> okay. Do you know who she used? Neil Patrick Harris. No, not Neil Patrick Harris. Oh. That's the name I was fishing for earlier. Um, who is so handsome, by the way. Uh, what's his face from Cheers? <laughs> not Norm, obviously. Woody? Uh, Yes. Oh, my God. I had the story all wrong. You did have the story all wrong. I remind a lot of people of Tom Brady. (laughs) Okay. No, I don't. But I'm thinking about a quarterback throwing a ball. I don't even know. Okay, here's where I am in the story. We went a little sidetracked, but hopefully. I wonder how many negative iTunes reviews we got from that. (laughs) Would you stop? (laughs) Okay. So here's my point. In order to get a ton of muscular rotational generation through core, you also engage glutes and you also get good contact with the ground. You got to have glutes boxer, like Tom Brady. Boxing. This is here. How do we tie, tie Tom Brady back? I was into thinking this? about, I was or thinking else about, everyone's going to be sitting no, out there. No, here's the thing. It's like, I was thinking about uh, quarterback throwing a ball. 
That they really, yeah. That that rotational action, right? That rotational action that goes through their core also has a very strong hip, leg, and ground component. They're using the resistance of the ground. They're using the power that's being transmitted through hip and leg. And then they're also using that rotation through their abdominal center. Hip to leg to buns? Hip to leg to ground. Okay. Hip just wanted to, say to leg again. to ground. Okay. Got it. And a perfect example of working with this actually is Warrior One. And no, you don't want to be aggressive in Warrior One, but when you strongly plant the back heel, when you strongly engage the back thigh, when you strongly engage the back glutes, yes, you engage the back glutes. And then when you draw the nape, the bottom of the belly back, that's transverse. But then when you rotate the trunk, that is engaging the obliques, mm. right? And so, and that's not totally unlike an uppercut of, of a boxer, that really strong power of back foot plants. You push off the back foot, you drive through the back leg, you drive through the back hip joint, especially glute, and then you create that strong abdominal rotational action and that spinal rotational action. So that tip number one, okay, that tip number one, strengthen the backside more. Tip number two, when we're thinking about core and core strength, we have to think about the rotational action of core because when the body is really looking to get true power, it has to come through rotation. Tip 2A, right, which is when we are using the rotational muscles of our belly, we are also strongly planting something into the ground and also using leg and hip, right? The, no muscle in and of itself is that strong. So I don't care how much any of the abdominal muscles are strengthened if they aren't connected to the other muscles and to their other limbs, that's, it's not a very powerful effect. Hmm. We get strength from our ability to work as a whole, which is one of the reasons that modern fitness training is so different than fitness training used to be. Hmm. Fitness training used to be pretty much everything. You do one muscle unit at a time or work on one joint at a time, and very little fitness training ever really does that anymore mm -hmm. because that's not how we use the body. So the way that we use the rotational strength of the core is not just to rotate our core. Mm -hmm. It's also to use the hip, to use the leg, and to get that feeling of strongly grounding the feet. So you already mentioned one pose where we do yeah, this another, warrior one. Yeah, another thing I, I love to do is crescent lunge twists with the elbow hovering above the knee. Mm. Utskatasana twists with the elbow hovering above the knee. What happens when we press the elbow against the knee that kind well, of takes away from well, the Well, I'm all for benefit. pressing, just so we know, I'm all for using the elbow against the knee if I want to emphasize net rotation. Mm -hmm. But if I want to emphasize strength, especially strength in leg, hip, and rotational muscles of core, then hovering the elbow above the hip, what it does is it disallows you from using the leverage of the limbs. If you take the elbow to the knee in a lunging twist, you're going to press the elbow in the knee and you're going to use that leverage from the limbs to produce the rotation. Again, I have no problem with that. But if I want to use that same pose to strengthen, 
then I'm going to keep the elbow just above the knee and maintain that without bringing the elbow in contact with the knee. That's going to make my hips, my legs, and my abdominal core work much more. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's it. Cool. There's a lot of other ways you can do twists where you're not using the arms as much and you're using your abdominal muscles to create the rotation. Now, usually a good twist is going to do both. You're going to have the, the inner lever of your rotational muscles of core. So mainly, again, multifidi and obliques. And you're also going to have the external lever of arm pressing against the leg. But taking the arm and the legs out of it can be a little annoying because you're not going to go as deep and you're going to work harder. But they're really good for developing strength. Okay. Yes. Do we have one more tip? We have one more tip. One more. Okay. Go for it. We have to remember that anything we strengthen, we also have to relax. We also have to let rest. And we have to take the tension off of. I feel, I'm not at a loss, that's too, too strong of a phrase, but I feel like it's, it's very easy to buy into core strength, strength and midsection. That, that feeds all of our inner narrative about being strong and being empowered and, and quite beauty and, and, and yeah, quite yeah. honestly that is we can't remove those desires from the implicit thought that oh that's also going to make me narrow there that's going to make me strong but also beautiful and it's going to shrink the waistline and mm -hmm. so forth and all those are reasonable things I and mean, I, I, like it, it is reasonable to want to be strong and functional and to be as aesthetically, you know, contained and developed as, as we can be. But it's really important that we relax these areas. We have so much unconscious chronic tension in our midsection. It is crazy. People have an incredible amount of tension in their diaphragm. People have an incredible amount of tension in their pelvic floor. People have an incredible amount of tension in their hip flexors. People have an incredible amount of tension in their other abdominal muscles. And they have an incredible amount. I don't want to say they. I want to say we. Sorry, mm -hmm. I said they. And we have an incredible amount of expectation. And, you know, not to be too heavy handed, but sometimes disappointment and oftentimes shame about our midsection. Mm -hmm. And so we have a lot of tension stuffed down into that space. Mm -hmm. Strengthening that area is really valuable. But it's also important that we let go of this chronic tension and this chronic expectation. It's also important that we realize, look, bodies occupy space. Our belly's going to occupy some space. You know, our butt's going to occupy some space. Like these aren't areas without mass, like they have mass. And it's important that we do some work to soften and to yield and to relate. And there's a lot of breathing dysfunction that comes from excess tension in pelvic floor, in diaphragm, in abdominal regions. We very easily talk about, you know, the spine being flexible and mobile and the shoulders flexible and mobile. And we stretch that stuff out. We stretch our hips out. But how often are we actually completely relaxing and softening and yielding our midsection? Well, the answer to that probably is a lot if you are intentionally doing that. You're probably relaxing your midsection well if you do restorative work and you do breath work and you do things where you feel and you're coached 
to work with yoga nidra and deep relaxation. But for people like myself that are mainly vinyasa yoga teachers, we see this 90-minute increment of time. And the majority of that 90-minute increment of time is pretty overtly, it's pretty hard. We're working pretty hard. And so for me and for all the other teachers out there, we have to also make sure that we're giving time and giving language and and giving the value of allowing this deep-seated tension and sometimes frustration worse worse in our midsection to to drop, to soften, to let go. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask a question. I'm, I don't usually feel like I might be asking a dumb question, but I might be asking a dumb question here. Like when I do up dog, uh-huh. I feel like I'm stretching my abdominals. What totally. about back bends? Yeah. I mean, so, so yeah, yeah. Okay. But stretching something and relaxing something okay. are totally different. Right, right, right. They're yeah. totally different. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that could be another conversation, but we, we're not going to get completely into that right now. So there are lots of things where you are stretching your abdominals for sure. And it's not so much an issue of stretching the abdominals. I more mean the tone of relaxation. I more mean the tone of surrender, the the tone of letting go, right? If I say this to everyone right now, right, and everyone does it, bring your awareness to your abdomen and relax it completely. Bring your awareness to your pelvic floor and relax it completely. If you're able to do that, you will see that they were tensile. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They were unnecessarily tensile mm-hmm. because most people are probably sitting and driving a car. So guess what? You don't need pelvic floor contraction. Mm-hmm. Guess what? You don't need abdominal contraction. Well, you do if you really like to stress out all the time. <laughs> well, Sheesh. Don't you tell me about stressing <laughs> out all the time. Okay. But you, but so you know what I mean? It's like that we have a high amount of unconscious muscular, unnecessary muscular Totally. Yep. You know, Mm -hmm. and that can affect digestion. That can affect all sorts of holding on to something that you don't need to hold on to is really never in your best interest. So having abdominal and pelvic floor contraction that is chronic and unconscious is not the same thing as having strength. In Mm -hmm. fact, it's the opposite as having strength because it's fatiguing. So it's just one of these things that how do we do that? How as teachers do we, how do we fit in this idea of relaxing your midsection and relaxing your core a little bit more? Well, I think it's hard. I think it's hard, but we have to do it. And I do really simple things pretty regularly. If I've taught a class where we're really working our abdominals strong, towards the end of that class, I'm going to do reclined twists. And I'm going to do Supta Baddha Konasana. And I'm going to ask people to put their hands on their abdomen, feel the warmth of their hands, and relax their belly. Just let it go. You guys have worked hard. Let it go. I'll have people come into child's pose, separate the knees a little bit wider than their ribs, and say, you know what? No one can see it. I can't see it. Your neighbor can't see it. You can't even see it. Let the weight of your belly hang between the thighs. Let it drop. Relax it. And when people do this stuff, it, it is a powerful way of letting go of excess contraction. It's not weakening. We have to remember that we need to strengthen the body to strengthen the body, but we also need relaxation. We need the rest and the recovery cycle to facilitate that strengthening. Mm-hmm. Well, I remember years ago talking to a friend about the fact that relaxation in our culture actually needs to be learned. 
Oh, totally. It's, it's a, a skill. No, it's a skill and it's, it's not skill. taught and it's not, you know, emphasized yeah. that much. So this is the place to do it. And I'll, I just want to repeat it again, even though I keep saying the same thing, which is this is the right time and this is the right place. Because if yoga teachers aren't aware of and if yoga teachers aren't going to talk about our midsection in a more dynamic, complete, and humane way, who is? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like if we can't talk about surrender and relaxation in this midsection, if we can't understand that, speaking of core, that letting go and surrender and yielding is part of the core teachings of yoga, if we can't integrate this and help people have a more complete and dynamic understanding of how to work their midsection, who are they going to get it from? You know, it's not going to come from any other discipline. Mm -hmm. And it, and relaxing an area doesn't preclude strengthening an area. But look, if we're going to do a 90-minute class and we're going to do a core strengthening class where essentially 80 minutes are going to be strengthening the midsection, we have a couple minutes that we can have people try and deeply relax that region and, and relate to it with a, a light touch. So you're saying if I relax my core at the end of class, I'm still going to be able to throw my discus after? You will not only be able to throw your discus, but you may eventually, with hard work, dedication, training, and many, 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 many pujas, learn how to throw a frisbee. Oh, no way. It's never going to happen. You just need to let go of it a little bit earlier, and then you point your hand where you want it to go. Okay. We're gonna That's our last tip. We're going <laughs> to... It is so hard for me, you guys. You have no idea. I'll work on it. Thanks, as always, for listening. Show notes for this episode can be found at yogalandpodcast.com slash episode 57. I will put some core illustrations up there so you can kind of dig around on the inner body and figure things out a little bit more. And also, please support our sponsors. They help me get this podcast created for you every week. Take care and until next week, enjoy your practice.